I want to uh, really quickly, as we start this morning, mention uh, two things, and I'm invite um, maybe invite you to move if you feel led to do that. Uh, one is that <clears throat> one. The first thing I want to mention is that this afternoon at two o'clock we have uh, our a group of our students that are going to camp Camp 51. Um, we go to camp with about seven or eight other churches, I think, and there's around 200 total campers that'll be there this next week. I think we're taking a group of about 30 or so with us, uh, and, and that's just students. I think there's five or six adults as well that are going, so uh, I want you to be praying this week. Camp, Our camp is called, the camp that our students go to is called Camp 51, uh, and I like the name Camp 51. The, the idea behind that is that we go to camp one week of the year, and we actually have to live our regular lives the other 51 weeks of the year, and so this one week is designed to prepare our students for the other one, other 51 weeks of the year, and so I want to ask you to be praying for that specific thing uh, this next week, that God will use camp uh, in our students' lives to shape and form them so that they're able to live for Jesus Christ for the rest of this year. Amen? Uh, so that's what we want. The other thing I want to mention is uh, this morning is that uh, our sister Danielle Snyder is here. She's here today uh, for the first time since... Uh, her husband, Chad, passed away tragically to a motorcycle accident, so I'm going to mention Danielle as well in, our pr- in my prayer. And then at the conclusion of my prayer, up here on the slides are going to be uh, the slides for the, the words for the Lord's Prayer. And so I'm going to conclude what I'm going to say about camp and about praying for Danielle, uh, and then also we're going to say the Lord's Prayer together. So there's some instructions there for you. So let's, let's begin uh, in prayer. Father, we come uh, this morning uh, with hearts that are heavy uh, for our sister Danielle and Jackson, our little brother, and we know, God, you hear, you hear the heartache and the hurt. I know today's a hard day for Danielle, and she gave me permission to pray for us to pray over her, God, and we just pray that you will hear the cries of our sister this morning. We know that that is the cry of a heart that is broken and hurting and that is in need of your hand to heal and to touch. And so we ask, we ask God that you will do what only you can do and that your arms of love will be wrapped tightly around Danielle and Jackson today, tomorrow, every day moving forward. And that those who are surrounding her this morning that our hands upon her will be a reminder for her, God, that we want to walk with her and Jackson. We want to take each step with them as they journey in life moving forward. And God, we pray by the power of your spirit that you will work to bring healing, to bring hope, to bring wholeness again. And we're thankful that we do not have to go through life alone, that we, God, are, we have a community to share our lives with. We also know that, that you, God, are a God that never leaves us or forsakes us, that never turns your back on us, that does not give up on us, that joins us in the pit of life, that joins us in the valleys of life. And I pray that that truth will be felt deeply in Danielle's heart that she'll know that you are with her. 
You're good. It's okay, Daniel. And through our cries, I want us to say the Lord's Prayer together. Because I think this is, this is our hope, ultimately, church. And we have no other place to look in the moments of heartache. And so let's say these words together. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. You can have a seat. I'm just going to take a second. Invite you to breathe. And to know that you are filled with the power of God. And that the breath that is in us gives us life. And so I'm just going to take a couple deep breaths and invite you to do the same thing. Let's breathe together for a minute. You know, uh, I know we all know this, but it still feels like it needs to be stated this morning that a lot of times we forget that that is what church is. I, what I'm about to do is important. It's a part of it. What we just did, singing, great. Being the body of Christ together, friends, that is, that is what church is. That when we are hurting, other people are hurt with us. When we are celebrating, other people celebrate with us. And so I don't, I don't want that to be lost in the fact that we're going to move into the study of God's word. Because I know that many of us feel what Danielle is feeling, right? Because of her pain and because of some of our own pain. <clears throat> It's, it's significant to me, maybe only me, but it is significant to me that in the midst of this study that we're doing this summer, next week, maybe I should have done it this week, but next week we're going to talk about one of the, the statements that I think gets used maybe more than any other and, and it has done a lot of hurt in a lot of people's lives because pe well-meaning people say things like, God will never give you more than you can handle. And all of us can, can, can hear those words and know through our experiences that that just ain't true. Because life 
often feels overwhelming and hard and heavy and painful. And so when one of us feels that, we all feel that. And, uh, <clears throat> and so I'm going to talk about that next week, and I'm, I'm gonna invi- I want to invite you to be back. It may be that you need to invite someone in your life that you know is hurting or struggling to be here with us who needs to hear a word about maybe the truth of that statement that's probably been spoken uh, in their life. We, we say that statement a lot when we're trying to help somebody or encourage somebody, but it just isn't helpful usually because life feels hard and overwhelming many times. And so I appreciate your heart and your desire to, to surround our sister. I want to uh, encourage you to continue to be praying for her and for her son Jackson as they walk this uh, difficult, difficult road that I know many of you know, many of you feel, uh, many of you have experienced um, yourselves. And so thank you for being a part of that. So today uh, we're going to talk about forgiveness. And we're going to talk about a statement. Let me get another drink of water before I start. We're going, to get, we're going to talk about the statement <clears throat> that is often used as well, forgive and forget. Forgive and forget. <clears throat> and I'll start by saying that this, this statement might sound like uh, the most biblical statement of all the statements that we're going to look at this summer. Because when you talk about forgiveness... Right, you, you, you tend to think about forgetting. And so we're going to explore this idea this morning together. But to, to talk about forgiveness, I want, to, I want to start us talking about forgiveness by thinking first of all about uh, what are called flashbulb events. Flashbulb events and our memories and how those two are connected. A flashbulb event, in case you've not heard of it before, is anytime some big dramatic incident that happens, that lodges itself into your memory. And, and there's a whole like, area of specialty in psychology devoted to the study of flashbulb events. So when studying a flashbulb event, you ask someone where they were right after something dramatic or significant, historic happened in the world. And then you come back and you ask them again, months or years later, and you measure how accurate their memory is up against their initial memory of that event. So there have been countless studies over the years done about what people call flashbulb events. Things like landing on the moon for the first time, the death of Princess Diana, the fall of the Berlin Wall, the Challenger explosion, O.J. Simpson verdict, the election of Barack Obama or Donald Trump, Right? In most cases, if you were alive in any of these events that I've mentioned, you probably remember where you were and what you were doing during some of those historic moments when you heard the news that that had happened or when you saw it unfolding. And like all of those events that I mentioned, 9-11 is maybe the biggest flashbulb moment, More, most, probably the most significant for certainly at least a generation of people. Anyone that was alive on 9-11 remembers what they were doing and where they were when they heard the news that planes had crashed into the Twin Towers. And in the aftermath of 9-11 and the attacks, there was a group that started an organization called the 9-11 Project. 
And this organization, the 9-11 Project, is interested in studying people's memories about the flashbulb event, specifically the flashbulb event of 9-11. And for their research, they interviewed people about their memories right after that day. Where were you? What were you doing when you heard the news? Who were you with? How did you feel? Right? And they ask these questions. And then they take the answers to these questions, they set them aside, and then they come back a year later, two years later, ten years later, on September 2011, they ask the same group of people the same questions. Who were, where were you on, on September 11, 2001? Who were you with? What were you doing when you heard the news? How did it make you feel? And you know what the researchers found as they studied this group of people who were asked, one time in 2001 and another time in 2011, they found that the further away from that, from that first year that they got, especially with flashbulb events, people's memories about where they were and what they were doing and who they were with and how they felt start changing. Their memories start changing. See, we, we think, most of us think about if, you, if I were to ask you about some story about your childhood or about some event, significant event that happened in your life and it happened 5, 10, 20 years ago, you would tell me a story but, and you think your recall of that event is perfect. You think your recall of that event is perfect, but what happens actually, research has found, is that over the years, as stories get told and retold, all kinds of discrepancies start creeping in. Things start getting fuzzy. It's a fascinating thing. And I share this about this idea of flashbulb events because I want to I talk about just the reality, the amazing reality that our memories fail to work sometimes. It can be frustrating to be, able, to be unable to remember. I can't remember their name. You see a face of someone you know you should remember, but you can't remember their name. Maybe you, you can't find your keys. I can't remember where I, I put my keys, or you can't remember where you set your phone down. You can't remember how to get somewhere that you've driven to many, many times. It's frustrating to, to be able to not remember certain things, but I would suggest there is something that is more frustrating than not remembering certain things, and that is not being able to forget things that you wish you didn't remember. Not being able to forget things that you wish you didn't remember. You know what I'm talking about? Right? You can't seem to forget what they did to you. You can't seem to forget the traumatic thing that happened in your life. You can't seem to, you can't seem to forget that thing that you regret doing or saying. These, these kind of things, I think, can be more frustrating for us. The things that cycle through our minds over and over and over again. And not only can it be frustrating, at times it comes with a bit of condemnation because someone might say to you, you should forgive and forget. You're supposed to forgive and forget, right? Sometimes this might come from a friend hoping to help you get past something that has happened to you. And they might say, the Bible says you should forgive and forget, just move on. Sometimes it might come from a friend. Sometimes it might come from the person that hurt you, wanting you to get over it and move on. And so today I want to talk about that reality. I want to look at what I think the Bible actually says about forgiving and forgetting. 
And to do that, I want to look in the book of Genesis. In Genesis chapter 37, there's a guy named Joseph. Joseph is sold into slavery by his brothers. Joseph is the 11th of 12 brothers, and he is the favorite brother in the family. And that favoritism that his father shows him leads his brothers to be jealous and envious. It doesn't sit well with him, so they want to get rid of him. That's the option that they, they pursue, is let's, let's just end this brother of ours' life. And so they have this plan, but they end up selling him into slavery, and they make up a, a story about his death to go and tell the father. And this picture is a depiction from the 1600s that an artist drew about that moment when the brothers are telling the father the story that they've made up about their brother's death. Joseph was 17 years old when this moment happened. And from this moment, for the next 13 years, he would live as a slave in Egypt. 13 years. And at times during that 13 years, he found favor with his superiors, and he would rise in status. And at other times, he would suffer some injustice and he would be put back down into prison for some extended period of time. Thirteen years, you guys. Thirteen years is a lot of time for someone to build up some resentment, right? But just when Joseph is at his lowest point, things start to change. In this story, there's this, this moment where there's this dramatic reversal of fortunes. The favored son unjustly treated and thought to be dead, is exalted by Pharaoh in Egypt and given authority to rule over the empire. He becomes a prince of Egypt. It's this really powerful rags-to-riches story, but it doesn't end just with him being on top, being in a position of authority and power. At that moment in history, the world was dealing with a drought. And Egypt was the only place where people could go to buy food. So Joseph's brothers, to save their families, travel to Egypt. And through a process of, at first they don't know that it's their brother, but then later seeing and realizing it's their brother, they learn that Joseph is still alive. They are both stunned and scared to death. Because they thought that they had, they had put it, shoved him off into a dark corner somewhere, never to have to worry about him again. But now they're frightened and they're shocked and they're wondering what in the world has happened because they also realize now he has the power to punish them. Now he has the authority to punish them. But as the story unfolds, we learn that he does not do it. Joseph didn't go from a slave in Egypt to a prince in Egypt just to be once again imprisoned in this cycle.